my grandfather is a uh, he's a, he was a Black Panther. He was a member of the Black Panther Party, mm-hmm. right? I sat at his feet my entire mm-hmm. life, right? Mm-hmm. The story of my grandmother coming to the state had to do with the Ku Klux Klan and them attacking my family, right? So it ain't never been a question. It's never been a question if I've been about black liberation. It's just never been that. Black liberation and black education, hands down. When I turn 18, I'm like, that's what I'm gonna do with my life though. You know what I mean? Like I ain't gonna do nothing else with my life but that. So like, I have never felt the need to perform that identity because that's, you know what I'm saying? How I grew up, who I've been my whole life. Grand Rising. This is your community storyteller, Trill Mama, and revered MC. Shavunda brings the thunder. Here with my co-host and KRSM station manager, Andrea Pierre. And this is our show, Power Perspectives, where we talk about policy, art, building power, self-care, and community life in Minneapolis. First you get the money. 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 We spoke with the Director of Policy and Research for Children's Defense Fund, Deborah Fitzpatrick, about the paid family leave bill, which was passed by the House and is going before the Senate with some opposition and alterations from Republicans. Today, we are joined by highly esteemed and distinguished guest, the Tish Jones. Tish Jones is the founder and executive director of True Art Speak, an arts and culture nonprofit based in St. Paul, Minnesota. Tish Jones is a poet educator, organizer, and cultural producer from St. Paul, Minnesota. She has performed poetry in venues throughout the United States. Her work can be found in We Are Meant to Rise, University of Minnesota Press 2021, A Moment of Silence, True Roots, and the Playwright Center 2020, the Minnesota Humanities Center's anthology entitled Blues Vision, African-American Writing from Minnesota, Minnesota Historical Society Press 2015, and more. Former director of the Brave New Voices International Youth Poetry Slam Festival, her work explores the ways in which art can function as a tool for social transformation, liberation, and education. Jones has always had a passion for bridging arts and culture, civic engagement, and youth development. Jones has been awarded fellowships from the Arts Matters Foundation, Springboard for the Arts, the Intercultural Leadership Institute, and more. She is grateful for the grants and awards that have allowed her the space to continue her creative and community practices respectfully. For more on her personal praxis, see Jones's TEDxX Minneapolis talk on spoken word as a radical practice of freedom. (laughs) Y'all. That's a lot. You bodied that. Right. You know what? I I appreciate that because <laughs> it was a mouthful. Was, you know what I'm saying? And right. more. I'm a cut and the, I'm a cut and more <laughs> and more. And when the bio says and more, it means Yo, and more because right. let me right. tell you all: if you don't know now, you know. Okay. Can I? The can Tish I, Jones can I is add the truth. Thing? Go ahead. Add something. Tish Jones Please. is also a graduate of St. Paul oh, Central High School. Of course. Central? Always. Dre always has to rep for the Central graduates and alumni that we have on our show. She it's, is always... It's where leaders are made. I'm just you, saying. I'm, That's what I'm talking about. I, I believe it's true. I believe it's true. I believe it's true. So we were honored to have you and introduce you as the featured performer for Pillsbury United Communities annual fundraiser and community celebration Greater Together where Andrea and I hosted and you were viewed performing a piece commissioned for the occasion. And we wanted to hear like an update about that piece and where it is right now, what's happening with it. Yeah, actually. um, So one, thank you for the introduction. Thank you for having me. I Mm -hmm. wanna start laying a foundation of gratitude with y'all in this space that you hold for our people and our community um, on the regular. Thank you for your labor. Um, And yeah, so the piece where, so what we're doing, you know, we have that first video that debuted that evening as a part of the annual fundraising event. And now we have this community cut. So we've been inviting community members to submit photos, videos, et cetera, that they have taken, that they consent to share as a part of this community cut so that we can tell our collective story in the Twin Cities. Like, what has our life been like since the uprising, since the murder of our dear brother George Floyd, Mm -hmm. right? And, you know, how can we tell our story and start to move ourselves forward? So it's not just, you know, 
Tish Jones talking about mm-hmm. the people uniting or whatever, but like us together seeing ourselves and seeing what perseverance looks like and seeing what re- uh, resilience looks like. So, you know, we on here right now. The video's not done being cut yet. So if you hear this, if you're listening right now and you want to send and submit some photos, find me on any social media platform. And I will make sure that we also review your images. What we're trying to do, just so you know, um, when you send the join in, if you send the join in, that's that's consent, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we don't want to make it too formal. We want to make it easy and accessible for all folks who don't, you know, do the jump through the hoop and sign this and fill out this. If you send it in, that we're considering that consent. Mm-hmm. And also, um, we just all we're looking for in terms of uh, we're looking for variety. We just don't want to have the same eight people featured 27 times so send in one photo two photos vary it up um yeah and let's represent this community you know i I talk about to me the way that i've been framing the last couple years is like really looking at um you know this being a a new movement for black lives like a resurgence for a movement for black lives and that starting here in minneapolis as like you know the catalyst for that uh resurgence of the movement so help me tell the story community cut Debuting soon. Hey. So then all you need is just like a photo of you or your family or whatever. Yo, or, or like you in action, right? Because mm-hmm. like we've been on the ground. We've mm-hmm. been on the front. Like we are literally, we were ground zero. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Right? Like for worldwide protests, like mm-hmm. set this thing off. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, this, you know, Danella Frazier, like. Mm-hmm. The city, you know what I'm saying, George Floyd Square, all of that is going to be in history books. It's going to be in textbooks. When they redo the textbooks, the images of George Floyd Square, that's going that is going down. So, like, not just you and your family, right? We want to see images of joy, but we also want to see the images of our people here resisting sort of this toxic culture of policing and police brutality in Minnesota that... You know, before two years ago, people were really sleeping under the rug. Oh, no. Mm. Oh, there's black people in Minnesota? Yeah, there's black people in Minnesota. Oh, there's bad police brutality in Minnesota? Yeah. yeah, there's police brutality in Minnesota. It's been going on for decades. For You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Anyway, yeah. This, yes. Listen, you're, like, already getting into what some of my questions are. I and I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, how do I, like, best navigate this? Because I was wondering, you know, what does it look like? What does it mean to be an artist right now? you know, in this time, you know, how have things shifted with what occurred? Yeah. You know, because again, like you said, things were shipped, you know, underneath the rug. We were always talking about these uh, revolutionary things, these inequities that we experienced. I remember writing a piece and I was talking about police brutality in it. And it was before, you know, it was it was it was before um, Trayvon Martin. It was before Mike Brown. So people weren't really talking about it like that. I'm like, just being like, remember this, you know, brother still, you know, have beads of sweat, you know, they get from when they're pulled over by the cops talking about this. And now we're in a time where you, it's glaring. Mm -hmm. You cannot ignore, you know, the inequities that are happening. And so like, what does it mean to be an artist right now? I, I, I have an answer, but I want to hear from you and then. I'll, Tish's I'll get into what I'm... So, Tish's perspective on power perspective. I think it's a couple of things, right? One, I think, like, I I feel as, as if um, what we've been experiencing and what we're at the head of, what just, you know, Malcolm Gladwell talks about the tipping point. We hit a tipping point because, to me, these cats just got mad comfortable, right? Like, they got mad comfortable, and then it was like, oh, snap, I took it too far. You know what I mean? And... Everything that has been done to us over the last, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years has been taking it too far. But they got so comfortable Mm. inside of this system and getting away with murder and getting away with abuse and getting away, you know, with racial profiling and so on and so forth. And it went way too far with just sort of the, the, the entitlement and the permission that they gave themselves to publicly harm black people. Right. Um. So that that's first, I think, and I want to say that because, like, yeah, this ain't this isn't a new phenomenon. They just got caught, right? So myself, and I don't necessarily talk about this often because I want to invoke women, right? So it ain't just brothers who have the beads of sweat when they get pulled over. I was assaulted by Minneapolis Police Department in two thousand and six, mm. and I was asked by the chief of the then chief of police not to file a police report Mm. because the lead officer had just gotten back from Afghanistan and he really needed something to be able to do. But they physically assaulted me. 
They wanted you to do a service to them. You feel me? For what they went through. You feel me? They wanted you to have some understanding and compassion. Come you on. Whoa. You feel me? Whoa. So that's also how we get the runaround in this thing. And look, so here's a, you know, and you talk about being an artist, right? So mm-hmm. being of service to this community. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna just say what I'm gonna say, and you know, I, you know, I love everybody, but there's, a, I'm not, I'm actually, I'm not gonna put too many people on blast because I also have to think of anyway. So, <laughs> yeah, you know I mean, because it's like we, you know, whatever. Off the record, off there record. was there was a certain individual in the position of power at that time, you know what I'm saying? Who, you know, I I, had, I hit him up. I'm like, yo, man, you know what I'm saying? I just did this service for you at your public de whoop and your children at their little de whoop as mm-hmm. a favor for you, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? And you. You have the power to really do something about this and enforce mm. this because you're in such a position of political power in this mm. community. And my mans didn't do anything. You mm. know what I'm saying? Mm. So when we think about artists who serve the community and community publicly celebrates us and we're so valuable and so on and so forth. And then, you know, something like that happens. You're physically assaulted by folks in this community that these. So it's a really interesting thing that happens mm. in this place. Right. Um, and the dynamics and what it means to be an artist. And it's like I said, it's been happening for years. So I just want to name that. In terms of right now, I think, again, man, like I just I feel like ain't nothing new under the sun. And artists artists right now are doing the same things that we've had to do forever. Right. Like I think about Amiri Baraka and the work that Amiri yes. Baraka was doing. You know what I'm saying? Like the ancestors who's really who are who really were, you know, mm. speaking truth to power. That's what we're doing right now. Um Amiri Baraka. I was able to meet Amiri Baraka when yeah. they came to the Twin Cities, you know, brought yeah. by uh, Shay and E.G. to do some do some work. And wise, 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 baby. wise, wise. It was the reprise of wise, 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 baby. It was. Yeah. It was. And I had him uh, sign two copies of uh, literature for me. One was an anthology of his and then the other was this play Lord Lubellamy forgive me because I'm the name of the play escapes me but it was it's about a train and it's about the brother named Clay right and he talks about being an artist within that because Clay is an artist and he says that's what keeps him from you know uh committing acts of assault Mm -hmm. himself Mm -hmm. against his oppressors Mm-hmm. Is by being able to express himself through his art, mm-hmm. you know that. And it was like a ode to Paul Lawrence Dunbar about we wear the mask and that about part. you know how difficult it is to navigate because that's what he was doing throughout the whole thing. Clay being malleable, you know. Yeah. However, yeah. you know when he was pushed to the edge, it was like you don't know me. Yeah. You need to back up off of me. Being too malleable, have you feeling like Gumby out here, though, fam? Gumby used to be all twisted up and stretched out. You know, like, if you ever had a... Like, the Gumby cartoon, Buddy would, like, recover all fast. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like, but the actual little Gumby dog, he'd be all stretched out after a while. His arms be off. Like, that's what... I mean, it's a both yeah. end to me. You yes. know what I'm saying? Like, yes. yeah, you got to bend and be malleable. But, I mean, you know, there's also, like... I think what we're experiencing right now is, like, hey, we have to bend a little bit less mm-hmm. and stand straight up. For ourselves mm-hmm. oh definitely to, to stop this from happening in the way that it's happening and to keep bringing amiri baraka forward and you know to tie back into this question about what the artists are doing right now i met amiri baraka in 2008 and he said it is the black poet's responsibility to document and mm. accurately tell our truth and our history because no one else will yes. so that to me is what artists specifically black artists are doing right now mm-hmm. yeah and speaking of amiri baraka It just brings me back to the Black Artist Movement that happened that sprang out of the assassination of Malcolm X, right? So after Malcolm X was assassinated, you know, we... We weren't taking it no more. We were like, this is it. This is the this is the final straw. And there was just this emergence of black art all over of us really expressing ourselves and telling our stories. And I feel like that's happening right now. I feel like we're in that second wave of that. Um, and we're just getting into the importance of what our stories are. And I wanted to talk with you too about narrative strategy. You know, um, we talk about the importance of telling our stories. And I know that's a part of your work with True Art Speak is working with the youth and working to like activate the voice, the voices of the youth. What does your narrative strategy look like? 
I think that's a super, super loaded question. And so it is. Yeah. Um, what I'll say is like what I think is important about narrative strategy is being intentional about um, the stories that you bring forward and who's mm-hmm. telling what story. Right. So like, you know, another like language changes all the time. Right. So we used to talk about it in the context of the dominant narrative and pushing back against the dominant narrative or counteracting the dominant narrative and et cetera, et cetera. So it's like whose story needs to be told at this moment? Who, you know, what what story are we pushing back against? What, whose voices are missing in the room? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? What is the strategy you want to apply to this thing to sort of to move towards this specific outcome? And we work with, you know, we work with young people. We work with adults. We work with in, in, incarcerated folks. We yeah. work with, you know, queer communities. We work with all types of different folks, so not just young people. So when we're thinking about narrative strategy, we're thinking about the folks that we're in community with and in conversation with mm-hmm. and what the best approach is for that you know, specific communities outcome. You know what I'm saying? Like for one for one demographic it might mean this, for another demographic it might mean this. And, you know, what campaigns are we working on? What policy change do we want to see? So it varies from time to time. I think the thing to keep in mind about narrative strategy is like, you know, what are the ways in which story and narrative shift can impact change? What are the stories that need to be front and center to bring about change? Because it really is story um, that begins to humanize folks, right? And it is, you know, presenting counter stories and counter narratives, which is like reframing it from counter. I had this conversation with Nikki Finney last month, two months ago at this point, and we were talking about like getting away from that combative language. So it's really Mm. like what stories can we uplift and center that have been pushed to the margins, erased or left out for so long? And then how does that change the way that folks think about people, a place, history, the future, et cetera? You know what I mean? That's narrative strategy, all those things combined Mm. and applied to affect change. When I hear you talk about that, Tish, it really brings um, to me the importance of youth voices. And I know that you are a longtime youth worker and leader and haven't been a youth, too, like because I remember you when you were little, little. That's right. You know, and just working and seeing you grow into this leader. That, But I feel like there are definitely a lot of people along the way who like helped lift you up and helped oh, yeah. give you that counsel. Oh, yeah. What do you feel? How do you feel? Not to speak for the youth, but like, what are you seeing today after everything we've been through? Do you see it getting better? Do you think it worse? Like, how? What are, what's your opinion right now? Yo, you know, I think that I think it's a both and, right? Because time times are changing. Technology is changing. You know what I'm saying? I think this demographic of young people is dealing with you know, technology at a level that we weren't dealing with, where I wasn't dealing with. And I'm, you know, I'm still young. You know what I mean? But uh, watching the watching how these folks have to deal with information overload, um, you know, that that makes it feel like, you know, emotionally, I'm like, man, noticing, you know, that the the young folks need some emotional support, Mm -hmm. some support around uh, mental health and wellness around rest and restoration around being able to take a break around being able to unplug i do think on the flip side the things we were dealing with when we were coming up is we didn't have spaces where we could you know be present where we could be creative where et cetera, et cetera. but there's been a movement to change that right like in a lot in this community specifically like we can go kick it here we got the youth spot here we got the black home whoop de whoop over here and the you know what i mean the bipoc whoop de whoop blah 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 wellness retreat so on and so forth and it, that's a beautiful thing And then we're thinking about things around accessibility and a pandemic didn't help. Right. So jobless young people. Yeah, I mean, Mm -hmm. like just just so many things. So it's like sitting around, being on your phone, having to deal with no resources, constant being outside with nothing to do. But also outside ain't even a thing no more for young people in the same way. Outside Mm -hmm. is outside. If you a hot adult. Like, that's what outside means mm-hmm. now. Outside don't even mean, like, you ain't riding no bike no more. You ain't going to kick it with the homies no more. If you're not an athlete, you're not. You know, non-athletes used to go hoop. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, that's not popping no more. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I don't know. Outside don't even feel the same. And that, it's that's like, right. what are we doing for the wellness? What are And how are we teaching them? I was talking to somebody the other day. Um, I was talking to the, uh, the CEO of Juxtaposition Arts, and we were talking about... Mm-hmm schooling Gabrielle Griff school school like old school music and Mm -hmm. that you know her mom used to teach her about 
music history, like black music history. And it was, you know, actual schooling. Wow. And just the importance of that. And like, yo, are we doing that with the kids anymore? Like, is Cass sitting down getting music history? You, you know what? I, it's parents? interesting because for me, I didn't, I don't feel like I got a schooling. I think it was just a being. It was just, we were just listening to the old school music. And so that's how I That's so school though. Like, you know, I, I mean, it, but it's but it's being, it's different. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? But that's, do you understand what I'm saying? Like, culture though come on tell me that's not the culture though it is and and then it's like giving people to what the music is or to what the cultural reference is that's I, had school, to, I had to you know and i and i just wrote this piece that i performed for sunday dinner you know come on, come on. talking about all the music and all the people who come i love on. to listen to who uplift me and also it was just like the music had a different vibration a different feeling to it too and it was on carbon it was carbon you know who was playing that but yeah it's like you let people know. And then this makes me think of Janata Petrus Nassau, right? Her play. There are other worlds. The title alone, Sunra. There are other worlds. There are other worlds they haven't told you about Sunrise. And they, you know, reference to a song. And in it, just the play and back and forth between uh, somebody saying they like to listen to Teddy Pendergrass. What do you know about Teddy Pendergrass? What you know about Teddy Pendergrass? You know what I'm saying? So that that's the... That's, that's the, the schooling. School. That's the schooling. But for me, you know, I feel like that's the being. It's just us being ourselves, for and sure. that, and that's a, and that is an education. But you, you gotta be. That's you know. That's but you I want to make sure that, that we're keeping space. it in the African yeah. conceptual framework. For sure. For sure. The, you know what I'm saying? For sure. Because it's. But it's I mean, that's our lexicon too. We talk you know, about old school, right? So that's mm-hmm. our lexicon. That's our. It's African. It's African American vernacular. Okay. It's Black vernacular. All right. We can't disassociate. That's another way they be getting at us, famo. I think they it's, do too. They do. Way. They yeah. get at us around language, and this is all our language. It's mm-hmm. not school S C H O O L. It's S K O O L. Famo, come on. Yeah. You know what I mean, Doctor Mahmoud El Kadi. Come on, new exactly with the new school. What did we with yeah, the dictionary? Come on, <laughs> come on. We reinvent language. No, you know what I'm saying definitely. we reinvent practice. We contemporize the way that we've been doing things, and we have to even for our babies to survive this system. We have got to be able to like translate the language for them because otherwise they're left out of the conversation that will allow them to survive in this world. Mm-hmm. Ashe, so you are the founder and executive director of True Art Speaks, mm-hmm. an arts organization that has been in operation since 2006. Mm-hmm. That's 16 years. Mm-hmm. Wow. You said yourself that you you still young. Yeah. So how old were you when you founded this organization? I was 18 when I started True 18, Art Speaks. 18. And at that age, what gave you the impetus to start an arts organization? Who your people? Yeah. Where did you get educated in organizing? I can't, you know, I... Can't yeah, trying to bring me down, but, but you it don't know, come across good in the. I know. Before the commercial break, we screaming. Now you hitting the thing. We like it's impassioned. I'm gonna take a, I'm gonna take a deep breath. I'm gonna take a deep breath. You know? Like we usually do that at the end, but I'm gonna do it right now. You know, I'm excited. You know, all the chemicals mm-hmm. are flowing, the dopamine, the serotonin. You know, all the all the yeah. the feel good. You know, is happening right now because I am. You know, right here in conversation with tribe. So again, tribe. Yeah. What, who who your tribe? Who your people? Where you come from? So like, you want to know like who this. the people are that inspired me to start this organization? I do, and and you know, and just more formally, like who's in your pedagogical lineage? Who's in your artistic lineage? Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, so many, so many people that I've taken cue from. Right, um, the Highlander Center is an organization that I've taken uh, notes from. I think. Carpetbag Theater is an organization that I've taken notes from. Um, you know, old school Penumbra Theater, back, 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 back in the day, like when August Wilson was still alive, that era of Penumbra Theater. Um, James Williams, you know, Shaka yes. Khali. Yes, um, you know what I'm saying? Those are folks that that um, really, and I, I call them J-Dub. J-Dub, of course, yeah, affectionately you know known as. Yeah, J-Dub, you know. <clears throat> <clears throat> lots of lots of folks, um, you know, poured in. My grandparents poured into me. You Your know what I'm saying? In terms by of way that. of yeah, Mississippi. So, yo, Mississippi and Alabama for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, Kansas City, Texas. You know, we, Listen, you you know that, we that got Fannie Lou Hamer you energy. You know what I'm saying? So. Yeah. So just thinking about um, those are the folks that I would say really poured in, and the institutions and the people that I studied in terms of thinking about the intersection of sort of African and black 
American ways of knowing, mm-hmm. um, as well as liberation. Um, at, you know, and then the whole entire lineage of like black feminist thought and black feminist thinkers, but that came yeah. subsequently, right? You know what I'm saying? Like my education around specifically black feminist thought came Eh, a few years after I started Sherrard Speaks, that's yeah. when I really started studying that formally. So, Bell Hooks, Alice Walker, those folks yes. I knew beforehand. Yes. Um, before I started the organization as a young person, mm-hmm. but really started studying them once I was like, all right, let's let's do this. Yes, yes, Alice Walker, Bell Hooks, you just named like all my, yeah, you know, Patricia Hill Collins, Kim, Patricia Kim, Kim, Hill Kim. Hill I mean, Collins. we can run a list on the, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, but the foundation. Is those earlier institutions that I mentioned. Right on, right on. Can you give us the website just so where people can, if they are not familiar with your work or what you do, can you just give out that information, how they can find you and learn more? Oh, for sure. So the organization that I founded, True Art Speaks, um, you can find our work at trueartspeaks.org. There's no E in the word true. So it's T-R-U-A-R-T-S-P-E-A-K-S dot org. Um, And for me personally, as my sister over here (laughs) keeps mentioning, it's the Tish Jones on all social media. T-H-E-T-I-S-H-J-O-N-E-S. So funny. Right. (laughs) So funny. Listen, so I wanted to know what have been the phases of development for True Art Speak? Did you come out the gate 18 and it was everything it is today? Like what what was that process? Talk us through the cocooning, the caterpillaring into. Yeah, nah, I love talking about that because yeah. everybody's like, you know, everybody wants to start a nonprofit. And it's like, nah, I did not want to start a nonprofit out the gate. Gee. Mm-hmm. No, um, we were really interested in you know, guerrilla theater and social justice-based theater, street theater, things like that. We were interested when we started um, in speaking truth to power on the block and in the hood. Um, I got my my stumping ground, my arts career, I would argue, started primarily in North Minneapolis. Mm -hmm. And I say the first... North side. Yeah, shout out to the North side. Shout out to the old Capri Theater. Shout out to the very first being seen. You know what I'm saying? Like, those are... That's where it was at for me, you know, Kwanzaa, Kwanzaa Church, like the mm. the real the mm. community spaces, you mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Um, yeah, I met some of my best friends in those. But anyway, uh, so we started off in in that world, right? Like our the first event that True Art Speaks ever did was actually a protest. Mm. Um, so we weren't, yeah, it was artists who were activating in community, yes. right? It wasn't about receiving nonprofit funds and so on and so forth. It was about being present in community, um, going through trials and tribulation with community and, you know, sharing sharing a story back about what we were experiencing. We didn't move into the nonprofit sort of world and sector until 2013. And we did that because of a need within community from young people. Uh-huh. There was a group of young people who came to us in 2012, and they were interested in going to Brave New Voices. And there was another organization here. Brave New Voices is an international youth poetry slam festival. There was another organization here who was in charge of leading that charge, of taking young people to that festival. And... Uh, they came and they were like, hey, you know what I'm saying? This organization isn't doing that anymore. We really want to go. We know you're connected. Can you support? Can you figure it out? Mm-hmm. And for for me, you know, that meant being being smart. Like, how do I how do I keep the organization safe? How do I keep these young people safe? You know, what are the things I need to learn? Insurances, so mm-hmm. on and so forth. How are we going to fund this? Because I'm not, you know, I'm not balling out of control. I don't come from, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, I can't just take... 12 babies halfway across the country to this international. Anyway, so I did some research and so on and so forth, made some connections, and then we um, ended up being fiscally sponsored. And we started to really think about education and youth development. So it really, the first phase of the organization, first seven years, was really about artistic creation. You know what I'm saying? It was about hip-hop artists coming together, doing guerrilla theater, street theater, performance theater, um, in conversation with folks in community. The next phase was really thinking about youth development and how those things can merge together. So what does civic engagement and youth development look like in this place? And how do you create safe spaces for young people and consistent spaces for young people? You know what I'm saying? Like, so they know, like, here's this thing that's always going to be there, whether, you know, when you go to college and come back, here we are. When you, you know, whatever it is, like, here we are. So that's that was the second phase of the thing. And I think um, the thing right now where we are right now is like leaning into um, being brave, being bold, and being unapologetic, right? So the work that we've always done 
has centered black folks, black intellectual thought, to your point in your question, you know what I'm saying, black feminist thought, like the tenets of the organization are built on that. It's built on liberation practices, right? Um, and, you know, uh, critical education and pedagogy. And now it's like, you know, small things, right? So like, I'm a black woman, I'm a queer black woman, mm-hmm. have been for forever, you know what I mean? Started this organization, but we don't be out here like, True Art Speaks is a queer, black, <laughs> run, black led, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Because it is that, it, we don't have to, you know what I mean? Just and let I, it be. It, that's Rather what it than is. doing it for promotion, Yo. for dollars, for Yo. quantifying who we are, who we be, it's just like, can I be myself? Can I show up as myself? And can I get the resources that I need to continue to do the work that serves and that makes an impact and that is needed? I love that you were answering a call for young people. I love that it came out of protest. It's Come like on. we're here. It, it's hip hop in on. all essence. You know, so... You know, um, listening to you too, it just kind of brings to, you know, because we've been doing a lot of grant writing and things like that. And Come that's on. how they want you to be in the grants. Yo. Like, I am queer and I am Yo. black and I Yo. am, you I am to, suffering. You to, Give me your money. Yo. Like, it's Yo. so weird Yo. the way you have to like Yo. put your like deficits you got, on black. It's a trauma story. A you got, it's a trauma narrative. Yeah. And like, like why on. are grants can, like this? It can definitely. It <laughs> like, can, I almost yes. hate it because mm-hmm. it's not natural. It's performative. So much of this life is about performing. Right. Yeah. Especially with social media now, especially oh. after, in the wake of the <laughs> uprising and the murder of George Floyd. Like, you got to perform so much stuff Ooh, right now. It's terrible. Right. Lord. I do Lord. have a lot of friends who were all Black Lives Matter. They ain't, they ain't posted about it in a while. You feel me? Yeah. You feel me? Yeah. Like, I'm, I've been Black. Yeah. <laughs> I've been Black since I was born. I've been right. about Listen. this. Like, I just, I posted that the other day on my social, man. Like, when I turned 18 years old, it was, I was, I knew before that, like, my grandparent, my grandfather is a, uh, He's a, he was a Black Panther. He was a member of the Black Panther Party, mm-hmm. right? I sat at his feet my mm-hmm. entire life, right? Mm-hmm. The story of my grandmother coming to the state had to do with the Ku Klux Klan and them attacking my family, right? So it ain't never been a question. It's never been a question if I've been about Black liberation. It's just never been that. Black liberation and Black education, hands down. When I turn 18, Bars. I'm like, that's what I'm going to do with my life, though. You know yes. what I mean? Like, I ain't going to do nothing else with my life but that. Yes. So, like, I've never felt the need to perform that identity because that's, you know what I'm saying, mm-hmm. how I grew who I've been my whole life. Mm-hmm. You know, so to your point, when we meet these grants and things and we have to do these do this performance thing, you know, that's a that's a tough situation to be in, you know what I mean? And it, it uh it's disheartening and it's it's sad. And then when you get rejected in these spaces or you get denied something because you're not Black Lives Matter enough or you're not queer enough or you're not whatever enough. It's weird. You feel me? You know <laughs> so weird. <laughs> and you can't have privacy, G. Like yeah. where's the balance in terms of like, you know what I'm saying, how you're relating or how you practice your blackness or your own, or your whateverness and like privacy versus like having to, you know, perform, pronounce or whatever this thing. Like, what about the merit of your work? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Right. I think it and brings- letting that speak for itself. I feel like this, that community knows who's who. For sure. You don't have to tell who you are because sure. when we ask the question, who are our poets? Yeah. Who do they say? Who do they name? Who are our healers? The Tish Jones. (laughs) I love (laughs) that. Y'all are so funny with this, the Tish. Tish. (laughs) No, I was going to say, too, like, um, you know, when it comes to these grants and things like that, too, I always encourage folks to get on the panels and the board to make the decisions for that. Most definitely. I think that's a great way to kind of change the culture on those is to join in and say you'd review the applications. It's the jury duty of the arts. It teaches you how to write your grants and Mm -hmm. also it teaches you, it makes you have that influence. Yo, and go into philanthropy. Talk about it. Go into philanthropy because really we just need to change the landscape of philanthropy and we need to change the way that these things are created, right? And I'm going to say more black people because there's so much anti-blackness in these spaces. Like, and it's unbeknownst, right? And I'm, I'm saying anti-blackness intentionally. And I love everybody, fam. I do. I love, I love everybody. And there is anti-blackness in so many communities, including our own. Mm-hmm. So when there's, you know... IPOC folks on the panel. That does not mean that they are thinking about your black self in that space because mm-hmm. anti-blackness is a real thing and language can be anti-black. Most definitely. The understanding of black cultural practices 
can be absent oh. and void. Mm. And if we're not in the room at the table setting up the structure, it's real easy for us to be left out. Mm-hmm. And I say this as a person who has been afforded a lot of opportunity, right? So I, I'm, I sit on the panels, I review the panels, and I've been given awards. I understand the nuances of this joint, man. I understand, like, that's what I'm saying. Like, we have to figure out how to translate different words. We have to, like, be in our kind. We got to arm our people. To me, I'm trying to give, you know, the babies every tool that they can use to survive this life at this time, right? Yeah. But I did want to ask you, there are a lot of developments happening in BIPOC concentrated areas Mm -hmm. right now. Rondo, Landbridge, for Mm -hmm. instance, which you've been very vocal about inquiring about the process for which this came about. Mm -hmm. You know, if you want to speak to that, you can speak to that. And I also wanted to ask, though, what does community development look like from an arts and cultural perspective? That's Mm -hmm. something that I had. Yeah. All the things. I feel like we're just like touching on the tip most, of so many most super definitely. important things. Yes. Um, so I always take the opportunity to say publicly that I am vehemently opposed to the Rondo Land Bridge. And I'm vehemently opposed to it because um, the process has not been a process that has been inclusive of black folks from Rondo. You know what I mean? The folks who were impacted by the original construction of the freeway through the historically black neighborhood, right? Because there has not been an attempt. So it's being it's being touted as a, a reparations project, a way to connect old Rondo to new Rondo, which means the old heads to the younger generation. Um, but like, where are the descendants of old Rondo in this conversation? You know what I'm saying? The folks whose families, family homes were taken away Right. Like, have we made a concerted effort with we have a four hundred and sixty million dollar budget, you know, I'm saying proposed budget uh, and already acquired, you know, little under 10 million. You know, I'm saying is there some sort of an effort to talk to those folks? Right. You know, like I would love to see that, like talk to those families. We know how to access the information. The deeds are there. Yeah. We know the families. Yeah. We still kick it with one another. You feel me? So like. Why are we not doing that but touting it as a reparations project? Additionally, I think if we're talking about a reparations project or healing for black communities who have been disenfranchised by this effort or initiative, the previous, you know, construction of 94, why aren't we talking about a right to return? Right. How come black people are not given the right to return to that space? Why did we for years say that black people would own land when really it's going to be owned and managed by the state? Mm-hmm. There's some education that's not happening, man. People keep on talking to black people. And I am I just always talk about black people. Like, you know, that's my jam. It's my lens. Mm-hmm. That's my experience. That's your community. Yeah. So for me, man, I'm just like, yo, there's also education that needs to happen. We keep talking about land trust, but we've seen what land trust do to black people over time. We've seen the lack of education around how you can leverage a land trust. It's not a, the a land trust alone is not a wealth building opportunity. It's not. And if you don't know how to leverage a land trust, you don't know how to build, you won't know how to build wealth. You know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Like there's really strict uh, parameters associated with land trust. And you need to know that going in or you get bamboozled because that's exactly what happened to people in old Rondo. Mm -hmm. They had land trust. They went into land trust and they weren't able to pass those on to their family. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? That happened already. So we about to let Reconnect Rondo do that to us again. It All makes no sense. It makes no sense. Sankofa. Sankofa. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's giving false generosity vibes as Yo. Paulo Freire of pedagogy of the oppressed Yo. has termed. Can we also, though, talk about this like false notion of like with, with 900 jobs, we're going to offer 900 mm-hmm. jobs. Fam, you can't offer 900 jobs when it's going to be corporations and businesses, you are, that's like, it's a false narrative. When we talk about, again, narrative strategy, that is a narrative strategy to say, oh, you can own the land here. It's like, no, you can't. Mm-hmm. You can rent something here, mm-hmm. but you can't own anything here. You can have a land trust here. You know what I'm saying? And you're not, again, you're going to have to leverage that. You're going to need other assets to offset that. And that's, 
So on our own, we need some financial literacy in our community. Like we need black folks who are committed to providing financial literacy for black folks around specific things so that no one can talk circles around us. That's the thing that we need. Right. But also, like, why are you saying you can give 900 jobs? It's going to be corporations occupying those spaces. That's not you giving out 900 jobs. That's you hoping that these corporations come in, occupy this space and hire black people. And they don't have to do that. Right. Just like MnDOT doesn't have to guarantee that black people get the jobs managing and operating the land. Like, mm-hmm. none of that is true. So, like, there's this false narrative that gives people hope that buys into this thing. And when you're pra- when you're praying, praying, because I, at this point, people are praying on black folks who, mm-hmm. you know, have faced years, centuries of economic disparities. Mm-hmm. Right. Praying on the on the fact that we we want to be you know, we want to have an equitable life. We want to have fair wages. We want, you know, same thing. So, again, I had this critique because there's, you know, there's a new development happening over north as well there is a new development 68 million dollar development that is ready to break ground over north and they're already um you know affordable and we put those in quotation marks there because we i i I remember being in conversation with somebody about prices and they're like come on well if you can't afford it it's not for you 100 plus units are market rate though Mm -hmm. Mm. so like What's the number of affordable units? Because over 100 are market rate. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So, like, I also want to know what the ratio is. You know what I'm saying? And, like, what the lived experience is going to be like for those folks, you know, who are juxtaposed in that space with affordable living and, you know, market rate living. I want to know what that experience is going to be like. And the idea that if we bring middle class people into North Minneapolis, it's going to help change the trajectory of North Minneapolis Mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. It's like, yo, Femo, middle class in Minnesota specifically. Who are you talking about when you're talking about the middle class? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Who are you talking about? Because you're not talking about we're not we don't even. Like, we're so few in this state. So yeah. when you talk about the middle class in this state, we're not hitting the middle class at high numbers in this state, yo. Right. We're just not doing that. And I think about what does that mean for redistricting, too? Come on. Because that adds to numbers within the community. Only a certain number of folks are supposed to be within a space, and then you have to redraw those boundary lines. Yo. And so whoever is living in these Buildings that are going up, right? Add into the numbers of within the community. Then you get to vote on what happens within that community. You have more of a voice. Exactly. And more of a vote. If I could just go back to the Rondo, Reconnect Rondo conversation. Is there any more, like, what's the, what action is happening now with that? Like, I know that they're still seeking a lot more funding. Yeah. And it sounds like they're just really in a fundraising mode, but... Like, is there anything else? Have they answered any of the demands that you guys put forth? Of course not. Okay. Of course not. Community asked for a very thorough list of demands, Mm -hmm. and they have not answered more than half of them, honestly. Okay. They've just, you know, just ignore it. In fact, I requested requested a meeting with Marvin Anderson in person, Mm -hmm. and the brother just, he ignored my question. Sir. Mm -hmm. Hey, when can I get on your calendar, sir? Sir, I'd love to talk to you about this land bridge, sir. Mm Mm-hmm. Ignore me multiple times in front of witnesses. Right. So it's not this is a thing in which like when we talk about bridging the generational gap, because I don't have no beef with that, man. Mm -hmm. I beef with this idea. Mm -hmm. Right. And there's a way there's, again, narrative strategy. Right. Narrative strategy is Tish Jones is disrespectful to the elders. Mm -hmm. She doesn't like black elders and she's disrespecting the elders in the Rondell community because I am asking questions. I'm respectfully seeking to have a meeting with you. I'm respectfully seeking for some equitable practices in the way that this thing went down. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I'm 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 interested in the poor people of the community also being informed. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Not like not the heads that mm-hmm. sit together and meet at the spotty that no one knows about and mm-hmm. no one is invited to this meeting. Not that. Yeah. yeah. But like how do we get the word out to all of us in mass so we can all be informed in this conversation, exactly. not private meetings, not turning the elder meeting at the old historic community center into a meeting about Rondo. Right. Yeah. But having an actual public community meeting. Mm-hmm. That is what arts and culture mm-hmm. community development looks, looks like. like. That's mm-hmm. what it looks like. Okay. It looks like creating space for inclusive practices. It looks mm-hmm. like telling the story. Yeah. Artists can be tapped to help tell the story and spread the word. Right. So this is this is how we create a narrative strategy of wellness rather than becoming our oppressors. Come on. 
right. something that's intergenerational. Come on. Yeah, exactly. For sure. We so, also got to not be offended by one another, yo. We can't be offended right. by hard questions. Like, we right. got to be able no. to, you know what I'm saying? Like, if we can respectfully engage, because that's the thing, too. It's respectfully like, and with love. Yeah, respectfully and with love. And so, like, I, I mean, that for me is the, the most important part of, like, how this whole thing started is, like, we asked a question. Respectfully, mm-hmm. it was a hard and it question. Was like, How dare you question me? Yo. I'm from Old Rondo. Yo, what does here. that mean when you can't? <laughs> you know, what it I'm was saying? a lot of that. It was, and it's like, yo, and I'm talking like, you know, you know how like I think when it's you know a lesson somebody... though too for me. Like, don't ever become that elder where yeah. I am offended when a young person asks me a question. Yo. you know what I mean? Like, I just I got to make sure I'm open to the youth. As, mm-hmm. as I go on this journey called life. That's Down real. with the old guard. That's so real. talking about self-care, because that's what it's all about. All right. We have a word from our Lord, Audrey Lord, that is, which is caring for myself is not self-indulgence. It is self-preservation. And that is an act of political warfare. Deep in hell. So with that, what are your rituals of self-care? Yeah. Yeah. How do you ground yourself with all that is that you are balancing Mm -hmm. and and being within community? The way my brain works is I always think about funny references before I answer questions. So if anybody out there has seen um, Big Mouth, I'm thinking about the way that... uh, the lady hormone monster says bubble bath. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yo, okay. I for sure be taking bubble bath. Bubble bath. Um, I love a good bubble bath. Okay. And uh, no, candles. Um, I read. I also exercise, yo. It's, you know, moving my body, serotonin mm-hmm. and endorphin. You know, moving my body is one of the things um, that I often do. So running, yoga, reading, writing. I'm a poet. So to like get it out of me, get it off of me, you know what I mean? I do that. Um, and I freestyle at the crib, you know what I'm saying? Okay. And uh, the biggest form of self-care is my family, though. Mm. I, uh, My chosen family, my blood family, like I go and I surround myself with my people. They fill me up. And uh, we don't even have to do anything. You know what I mean? Like Just be. Just be. Just, just, to, just, be. just see the babies. Yes, mm. that's medicine. Being with your... Being with your kinfolk, yeah. that's medicine. Straight that's up. medicine. So, um, yeah, I want to make sure that I get this question. And then we're going to come back to the self-care, actually. But what is your definition of power? Whew. Whew. All right. Um, that's complicated. Because um, if you, you know, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, what is my definition of power? Yeah. Um. I think power has to do with um, influence, capacity, um, confidence, execution. Um, When I think about what power is, right? But when I think about how power functions, that's a whole different thing, right? Mm. Uh, I'm interested in a unilateral redistribution of power. Mm. Like that's my ethic. In terms of the way that work happens, that's how I've structured my organization mm-hmm. to break down hierarchies and redistribute the power within the joint. Um, yeah, but I think it has a lot to do, you know, with influence, capacity, access to resources, and how you yield or wield those things. Mm. Okay, okay, okay. So I, we had to get that because this is power perspectives. And so I ask everybody that question, which is a tough question. But going into going back a little bit into the self-care. So I just want to shout you out because I feel like not I feel like, but I witness you be a huge proponent of self-care and giving back to community yep. in ways constantly. Like here is your $50 giveaway for this <laughs> and for that and for this and for that. And not only that, but you know, yeah, you're here. Somebody has a birthday coming up mm. in the house. <laughs> and and bam, so bam. listen, for, for all of that, I wanted to... Oh, uh, listen. So I have to give you your flowers. Aww. 
I have to give you your your self care and your self wellness, you know, gifts and tools. What's not in here? That she will be emailed is a gift certificate to Luna Massage and Wellness, yes. where you can get your Reiki oh, healing and yes, yes, and you know get some cuffing and everything like that. So I just wanted to, Thank you. you know, return to you the the self care and the wellness that you give to community. Like yeah, happy so birthday often, to and wish you a happy birthday as well. So I love y'all. Happy birthday to you, most definitely. We love you. We love you. you. Thank you for all that you do for the community and just always being there. Thank you. You just always have the best energy. I just love you. Thank you, sis. You know I love you. (laughs) You you know. Andrea raised me, y'all. Listen, I I, I hear her say, I hear her talk about you as as a youth. Yo, she knew me running around. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yes. (laughs) Andrea's sister was my sixth grade English teacher. Yeah. I survived sixth grade. Because of Andrea's sister. Mm. So, yeah. My sister still loves you and asks about you. I still love your sister. You already know. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. Just think about how many kids Uh you've touched. You know what I mean? Like, seriously, 16 years? I didn't realize it's been that long, Tish. Like, that... I'm always want to cry thinking about it. That's beautiful. Yeah. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. Look at the Lord. I'm just so proud of you. You. Like, oh. That means a lot. You are wonderful. Thank you. So, Most definitely. Yeah, that's Most beautiful. definitely. Thank you. Most definitely. Thank you. Y'all are great. Y'all are, you know what I'm saying? Y'all are really doing I'm all this. crying. Down. Yo. <laughs> that's part of yeah. saying Cry, you got to get it out. A river yeah, of tears to yes. heal. Come on That now. part. They're happy tears. Yeah. But i like, yeah, that actually makes me cry. That's beautiful. Yeah. 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 I had to do the math on that a few like years ago. I was like, I think it was like 12 years at the 12 year mark. I was mm-hmm. like, 12 years. Now, how, how old is Tish? Wait a minute. Because yeah. <laughs> I met Tish's mom when I was 18. Uh, I just turned wow. 18. Wow. So it's been a long time. That's, wow. <laughs> that's beautiful. And that's love. Real and quick, real yes, quick. Yeah. I know I'm cutting it short, but like, I also want to thank, like, literally thank you too, right? I mean, you know, you know how you be, you be like, hey, you know what I mean? I appreciate you. I appreciate you. Like, y'all power the work though. You know what I mean? Like, so, and everybody who's listening, like, it is community that actually powers the work. It's community that made it to 16 years. There's some yeah. value that you all see in what we do, that your babies see in what we do. There's value in you all coming through as artists, as community members to support this joint. This is our work. This is our work. These are our platforms. This is how yeah. we share and exchange power. This is how we reimagine power together. Mm-hmm. So this show, True Art Speaks, other organizations, people that we support, you've been, you've brought so many people into this space. Yeah. I'm just grateful for that. I'm grateful for the community in the Twin Cities that supports one another. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And I think we do that really well. I think we are in conversation in such a healthy way. So I thank you all mm-hmm. um, for everything that you do. Aww. Thank you, Tish. Thank you. No doubt. Thank we got to get Thank going. Thank you so much for being on Power Perspectives. Right. Yeah, we will be back on Thursday talking more community and economic development. So tune in 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Thank you again for being on our show. And we got to have you come back soon. I would love to. All right. Peace. Tune in next week for more Power Perspectives with me, Shavonda Brown, and my co-host, Andrea Pierre. Wishing you wellness. Peace.